Hi, it's Tim. Just before we get into this week's edition of Blind Like Me, I want to remind you of my other two podcasts that you can check out, Inside Today's Country and Corkscrewed. You can find links to both of those at my website, timblackonair.com. As well, Blind Like Me is looking for a sponsor. We'd like to align your business with this podcast that reaches people in Canada, the U.S., and around the world. To find out more information, go to my website, timblackonair.com. This is Blind Like Me. Hello, everyone. Interviews, information, and reviews related to living with a vision disability. Your host is Tim Black. Tim has been visually impaired since birth. He's been in radio for 30 years and also hosts the podcast Inside Today's Country. Tim has never let his lack of vision stand in his way. Well, welcome to this week's edition of Blind Like Me. This week, we head to Denver, Colorado and meet up with Gail Hamilton. Gail reached out to me via email to ask if she could come on the podcast to tell her story. And an interesting story it is. Gail is a twin. She grew up with parents who did not accept her blindness. She's the very first blind female opera singer. She's written a book and she's a motivational speaker. From Denver, Colorado, we welcome Gail Hamilton to the podcast. Thanks for hanging out with us, Gail. Oh, I love hanging out with you. It was so much fun. <laughs> so let's find out a little bit about you. I mean, I, I kind of did it in the Cole's Note v- versions there, uh, but your uh, information sheet that you sent along about yourself, you, you've been a very busy lady over the years, uh, which I think one of the neat comments is is uh, that you uh, learned to play um, music and your your music teacher uh, basically said, you know, the, the fact that you were somebody who was a musician first and then a blind person second. Yeah, my voice teacher used to always say that when I got my master's in Pittsburgh, Kansas. I think that was one of the times that kind of edified me as a person. But she, she would say, you're not just a blind singer. You're a singer that just happens to be blind. Mm-hmm. And and that, under her, I got to sing two operas. I was the leading role in uh, La Boheme with being Mimi, and then I was the leading role in La Traviata with being Violetta. Oh so, goodness. yeah, it was really fun, and because she saw me just as a singer, then we just had to do special accommodations, and, mm-hmm. you know, with orchestra and, you know, costumes, the whole bit, and that was back in the day when, you know, blind people weren't doing that kind of thing. Exactly. <laughs> well, let's find a little bit about you. Let's go way back and tell me, tell way me, your, tell me your story then. Once upon a time, <laughs> way long time ago, um, my brain went weird. <laughs> so I was born in Indianapolis, Indiana, 1953. Um, my parents were upper upper middle class. They had lots. Of, they had money, but they didn't really know how to do the love or accept people with disabilities or any of that. I was born two and a half months premature, weighed two and a half pounds. Um, Let's see. Oh, I'm a twin. So they put us in incubators. Yeah. And put 100% pure oxygen in the incubator for six weeks. Mm -hmm. So then I was partially sighted to 11 and then totally blind with the cataracts at 11. And then like 15 years ago, I had both my eyes removed and have prosthetics. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's quite an interesting life for you then. Well, always is. Always <laughs> is. That's right. And, <laughs> always is. And is that kind of how you look at life? It's it's, it's interesting. It's a challenge and it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just life. 
Pretty much. You know, you can be victimized by your circumstances or you can be empowered by them. And I've been a victim for 50 years. And I think the last 17, I've decided, you know, I think empowerment works much nicer than being a victim. Mm -hmm. Now, going back, obviously, to the, uh, you know, to the 60s when you were in school and in 60s and 70s and so forth like that. I mean, that was when, as you you alluded to earlier, that, you know, blind people weren't supposed to be doing things. We were supposed to be basket weavers or or whatever. Yep, Um, yep, yep. Cane chairs. That's right. What was was life like for you uh, going to, to school back in the day? Back in the day, well, back in my day, um, I went to a school for the blind in Indiana. I went through first grade to eighth grade, and um, that's where I learned Braille music and Braille, and what do you call it, math Braille and all that. And I don't think I knew it then, but they were three years behind in education and where the public schools were three years, or the parochial school anyway, was three years ahead of education. Um, I I was fortunate. I got to go home every day. I lived like eight minutes away from the school, and so I I, I went home every day for, and then came back for classes. And I had partial sight, so honestly, I was. It's interesting because there's a hierarchy of blindness, mm-hmm. and you know the kids that had more sight you know they were more treated normally maybe mm-hmm. i'll say mm-hmm. than the people that the less sight you had the less kind of valuable you were or respectable or whatever term you want to use right and so i felt uh, and then I, since i was a day student i was looked down upon as you know oh you're you're too uppity to go to school with us because we spend all of our time at the school and you don't. And so you're not really one of us. So I wasn't really accepted there in a a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In a way, in a way I was because, you know, I was just as blind as they were, but, um, and we had our own cliques and, uh, but you know, the blind people tended to hit the totals tended to hang out with the totals and the partially sighted tended to hang out with the partially sighted. Mm -hmm. And, uh, but going from that, and interesting, later on when I went to parochial high school, and then somehow I heard that some of the kids at the school for the blind didn't know what a whole banana looked like, and that people had always cut them up for them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, really? I always knew what a whole banana looked like. So that was interesting. And they didn't do, back in my day, we didn't do mobility. Uh, at all no cane travel oh really none of that okay yeah none of that i didn't have any the only time i the first time i got cane travel was between my freshman and sophomore year when i was in a parochial high school and the sisters said to my parents we can't keep carting her around from class to class so you gotta get her away to learn how to walk on her own Mm -hmm. and uh and then my parents hated it because if a cane, then I looked more blind than without in their mind. Right. Of course, you know, running into a wall to me kind of looks a little bit blind. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, right. This thinking, I don't know, or shuffling your feet or sticking your hands out in front of you. I, I don't know. Falling over the whatever's in your way. I think that kind of looks a little bit blind. Mm-hmm. But they never let me use a cane when I was with them. And, uh, and my mom was so embarrassed by me uh, 
people looking at me because mm-hmm. I had the cane and all that. Mm-hmm. Even years later when I had a CNI dog, uh, I remember one time going to a family reunion and I got myself and my dog already and she says, oh, you're not going. And everybody else in the family was going, but I wasn't. So, and it was just because I'm blind or I had the dog or whatever reason mm-hmm. she chose to. So they were very visual people and I embarrassed her, I guess. But uh, sidebar, uh, at the end of both of their lives, my parents, my dad ended up with a colonoscopy and my mom ended up with a stroke and she had tubes out of her neck. So I'm kind of thinking, I don't know, I think I'd be rather be blind than having all that. <laughs> No doubt. Uh, yeah, I, I th- <laughs> they kind of got their just dessert. Yeah, I'm su- I'm surprised that uh, of them being embarrassed by you because they're your daughter, uh, and you're obviously yeah. a, you're a twin. Uh, so there's there's obviously yeah. a, a sister involved, um, and 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 why were they embarrassed? Like that that, that boggles my mind. Because because they were a visual people, mm. and it's all about the looks and. Mm-hmm. You know, my eyes didn't look normal, and I didn't look normal, so mm-hmm. therefore, I was an embarrassment to me. Yeah, they didn't edify. Where they should have nurtured, empowered, and guided me, mm-hmm. they did the opposite. They, mm-hmm. you know, isolation, negativity, and discrimination in a way. So they, they just, whatever they could do to out of sight, out of mind kind of mentality mm-hmm. uh, was kind of their their game. Mm-hmm. So they wouldn't have to, you know, they didn't want to see me. So they did whatever they could do to kind of think that they could hide me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is is dysfunctional family dynamic for sure. Yeah. Our world has changed a little bit uh, in that way, but there are still some kinds of signs of people who are still not totally accepting anybody with a, a with either a visual or a physical disability uh, in our society today. Yeah, I think it's one of the last frontiers to get total acceptance with. You know, they say they're better, but if they're better, why is there 60 to 90 percent unemployment? Mm-hmm. That's before the pandemic, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So. So we still have a we really still have a long accepting. way to go. I would think. Yeah. Much exactly. less mental disabilities. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, let's talk a little bit about what you did as a as a career then. Well, as a career, when it came that time, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Right. We all have I that said, question well, asked. <laughs> I know. It's like I still do sometimes. What am I doing? Um, but I decided that I loved music and I liked playing piano. And I tried to get out of it for the longest time because cause I'm a teenager and that's what teenagers do. Mm-hmm. Um, but then eventually when it came time, it's like, well, music's kind of the only thing I can do and I love singing ever since my first voice lesson so once I discovered that mm-hmm. that it was really like yeah this is fun so I went into music because that was what my where my passion was and I liked writing from the get-go too mm-hmm. and so interesting that that's kind of where I tend to go nowadays mm-hmm. but um yeah I got a bachelor's of of arts degree and with voice and for my major in piano, organ, speech, and English for my minors. Mm-hmm. And then I went off to um, get my master's in music and faced a lot of discrimination there too, though, because people couldn't see how there could be a blind person that was an opera singer. Mm-hmm. So that didn't really work out in a way. So then I went and got a doctorate or tried 
in music and got some more discrimination there. How can you be a teacher of music when you're blind? Mm -hmm. And then I went and did a um, oh, master's in psychology and counseling, thinking, well, if I can't do the music thing, I'll, I'll I surely counseling doesn't require eyes. Mm -hmm. And but I had people say the same thing there, too. Oh, you can't be a psychotherapist because you can't see them. It's like it might take me a little bit longer time to figure out that they were crying versus somebody that could see the tears fall. Mm -hmm. However, at the end of the day, I still figured out what was going on and still got it out of them and still mm -hmm. could be a therapist. Mm -hmm. But after a while, there was, you know, it was hard again and discrimination. So then I kind of went into speaking and decided to write a book and mm -hmm. I built, built a Habitat for Humanity house. And mm -hmm. I was also actually Miss Colorado Senior America as well. So yeah, done a lot of, You've done a lot of cool stuff. Things the last, yeah, the last 15 years have been pretty fun. Let's talk a little bit about uh, learning how to do opera, because obviously that's, you know, as you say, there was people who say there's never never going to be a way that you're going to do that. So how did you overcome that? I did. Well, I had my music in Braille, and I actually devised my own vocal Braille music system that I lined up the notes and the words above each other like they do in print music. Mm -hmm. And so that way I could learn what syllable went with what notes and uh, all the way through. So my voice teacher and I devised that compared to the way that the traditional vocal music system is written. And then just as far as being on stage, we did, oh, when I was Mimi, there was a scene where I had to come from backstage and then I had to go to a gazebo. You know, and I don't know now, I played Violetta and Mimi as sighted people, mm -hmm. but I don't know now if I would. I'd, I think it'd be kind of interesting to play them as blind, because after all, that's what I am. Mm -hmm. So, you know, wouldn't it have been interesting if I would have taken a cane out and found a gazebo or <laughs> walked around? You know, like, why not? Why not? You go, oh, there, there you found know, it. Why not? You know? There you go. Why found not? It. There it is. I know. But back then... I said, no, you know, I'm going to be a purist and, and all that. So I, they put a cable from backstage uh, to the, like, a couple feet away from the gazebo. Yeah. And they painted it black and they put a piece of tape over it. And then I had ballet slippers and I had skirts down to, my, to the floor. So I just would run my feet along the cable oh. until, I got, until, it, until it ended. And then I knew the gazebo was coming up. You know, so Ingenious. that's did yeah you know so that's how we did that um i don't remember too many other accommodations i remember that one for mm -hmm. sure uh you know counted i remember one time in la traviata i had a scene with my fa the my lover's father and mm -hmm. and we're and i was walking around and being distraught and he was talking me into not marrying his son because i was beneath his son and blah 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 and and I got lost wandering around in all this space. And I'm kind of going, oh, uh, let's just go back to the table. But I can't <sighs> find the table. And I'm kind of thinking this as I'm singing and being distraught. And I'm kind of going. But my the leading man was really with the program. And he, all of a sudden, he just started drumming his fingers on the table. Okay. He must have realized. you know. Right, and right. so I went. There's the table. Oh, thank God. <laughs> you, know, you know. Somebody's always great. willing to help. Yeah, well, he was. He he ended up being 
a tenor for the Metropolitan Opera. So oh, wow. that was pretty cool. So he was very savvy. Excellent. Yeah. That's very cool. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. a little bit about the, the book you wrote. What's it all about? The book is all about my life from birth all the way through the first 60 years. So being crowned queen of uh, the Miss Colorado Senior America pageant and fourth runner-up in the country. Mm-hmm. And, Congratulations. Uh, thank you. Thank you. That was seven years ago, but I, I'm still the queen. Of course. Think. You can't let and, that yeah, go. No, no. I got the tiara. To, I could go put that on, you know. <laughs> tiara on top of the earphones. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, all the, I had family abuse and I had uh, uh, relationships and suicidal ideation and just you know, and then just the traumas of growing up and the five CNI dogs. And then, of course, the love of my grandma, because people say, well, what got you through all the, the hard stuff? And it's like, well, my grandma, you know, mm-hmm. that's what got me through all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and believing in something bigger than me and, and mm-hmm. all that. And so then it and then it's how did I change my attitude from the victim to the creator? And then then how did I go and then started creating a life of greatness because the mm-hmm. book is soaring into greatness. So mm-hmm. how did I go from totally uh, traumatized and totally victim and totally being withdrawn and invisible and discounted and devalued and totally from that to uh, being a speaker and motivating and, and mm-hmm. all that. Mm-hmm. So overcoming the obstacles and getting on the other side. Let's get the title of your book one more time. Soaring into greatness, and you can find that pretty much. Is that everywhere? Uh, Amazon and so forth. Everywhere, everywhere. Amazon, Audible, Kindle, and Bard for people who are visually impaired. Excellent, isn't that great? Now let's talk about motivational speaking because I know that's something that I know you sent a video along uh, with you doing some motivational speaking. When did you start doing that, and why did that happen? You know, somebody asked me that the other day. It's like I don't know. Uh, I think because I've always been a performer. Mm-hmm. So I think it went hand in hand. And I think I went from performer, well, I still perform too, and I play piano and auto harp and mm-hmm. all that, but went from doing all that to, would you like to do that in schools? Okay, so I go play auto harp in schools. Of course, you're going to talk to the kids while you're in school. And and then somebody might have said, well, would you like to come up and talk to my class in the college. Well, sure, I'll come talk to them. And so it just sort of spread it out from that. And it's a natural mm-hmm. thing to go from singing to speaking. And and I do both in my presentations. I'll mm-hmm. sing the REI one to the Miss Colorado with, and then I'll speak, and mm-hmm. then I'll do a inspiration song or something else at the end. Mm-hmm. What's your message? So, oh, what is my message? Well, one of the philosophy I one with for the Miss Colorado is, I believe my desire to fly must be bigger than my fear of falling. Vision is internal, not external, and is guided by my heart, not my eyes. In order to be free to fly, I must want my dream, feel my dream, and believe that my dream will come true. Most importantly, I must live my dream. I'm the creator of my destiny, the composer of my symphony, and I choose to live a life of greatness. Mm -hmm. So that's my 35-second philosophy and that's kind of what i be- totally believe in mm-hmm. every day it's, mm-hmm. it's my mantra mm-hmm. um, my message is that we're not alone that we all can overcome whatever the it is in our life that that nothing's impossible mm-hmm. that you have to 
it's a matter of having a positive attitude of and so uh, attitude of gratitude but uh, uh, to be in alignment to whatever brings you joy and whatever your passion is mm-hmm. and then to take s- some action step every day towards that dream your goal your passion your desire mm-hmm. and i think another one of my sayings is i kind of follow it by the senses in our body so i so I, you have to see with eyes of imagination you have to hear with ears of like you're listening, your inner voice, mm-hmm. speak words of truth, follow your heart with uh, compassion and kindness, touch, reach out and uh, serve others, mm-hmm. uh, walk with steps of you know action, mm-hmm. and then connect with your source, your divine power, your mm-hmm. what, that part of you. Mm-hmm. And so that's sort of my seven steps. Mm-hmm. But, so, yeah, I have lots of messages that we all can do, whatever it is, that nothing should stop us. You know, the, the, anything is totally possible. Right, exactly. I mean, we, we have to look to our positive world and, and be positive. Uh, you know, we've been given the challenges and people have been given the challenges that they have, but you have to, you know, run with those challenges. I know I was always taught, uh, I, you know, being visually impaired was was raised in a in a household as a normal child because my parents wanted me to be normal. They didn't mm-hmm. want me to go to a, a right. you know a, a special school for the blind. In in uh, I grew up mm-hmm. in Victoria. Didn't want to go to a special school in Vancouver, and so I was raised as mm-hmm. a as a excited child. But I was visually impaired, and and I've always been wow. you know always was taught that uh, yes, you do have challenges, uh, and and life is is always going to be a challenge. But you have to grab onto that challenge and and run with it and and make the best of it. And then there's a part. The therapist to me says you can't totally deny the challenge. Like mm-hmm. it would be just silly for me to go. Oh, I'm not blind. Mm-hmm. I, now you said that raised parents to be, you know, they raised you to be normal. I think that's what my parents were trying to do. Mm-hmm. Except being totally blind, you know, I did run into the wall. So a tool like a cane would have been helpful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, know? no doubt. Instead of totally being in de- in, into being denial of it, mm-hmm. and so. I th- but in a way, I think being raised normal is good. I'd rather have that way than the pity way. Mm-hmm. Because, oh, I oh, totally you agree with you. Because uh, you know you're blind, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So yeah, I, and I and yeah. I agree with what you said uh, earlier in the podcast. Um, there was people that I had met in my younger days uh, because I went to regular school. Uh, I was the first visually impaired person to go through regular school in British Columbia. Yeah. Uh, and I met other visually impaired and blind people who, who went to Jericho Hill in Vancouver uh, and their social slash educational skills were a good couple of years behind, and I always felt bad yeah. for I always felt bad for those folks, and and I was the person that they would you know they would ask like well how do you do this and how do you navigate through mm-hmm. through life for this, and I always felt honestly felt bad that they had never been given that opportunity to to as I say live a normal quote unquote. Uh, life, because that's what my parents gave me. I mean, yes, I was visually impaired, and we had to fight yeah. for every tooth and nail, and get things in large print, and and so forth, and and the technology mm-hmm. and help and so forth. But these other kids, and, and and you know, unfortunately, the bigger part of the picture is eventually you're going to be out of school, and you have to be able to, you know, right. function normally in a normal society, or quote unquote whatever right. whatever is a normal society. Right. 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 And and so often people have low expectations of blind people or visually impaired people or, you know, all that. And it's like, oh, you know, and that stops people. And mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah you I know, last week hours. last week we were talking about uh, we were talking to a young lady who's in Ottawa, Canada, and uh, she is uh, visually impaired, and she is in uh, becoming a uh, you know a scientist. She's doing you know working for oh, the cool. pharma pharmaceutical companies and being a scientist, and she's visually impaired, and she's had an entire her, you know a challenge her entire life. But they're adapting things for her to become a scientist because nice. that's what she wants to do. And and I applaud people who who take that. Um, you know, it's, uh, the world is the world. I always love this quote that was the world's your oyster. You just got to kind of grab onto it and yep. run with it. Right. I was, you reminded me a while ago about, I was always the trailblazer too, maybe because my parents denied that I was blind, but it, I was the first blind person in my high school and in my college and my master's mm-hmm. and both my master's in the opera and, and the Miss America, first mm-hmm. blind person and, and the first single blind person to build a Habitat for Humanity house here in Denver. So That's wild. I've always been that. Yeah, I've always been that person. And because I don't I always ask people, well, how do you do it as a sighted person? Uh, whatever the it is, mm-hmm. like be Miss America and how do you do this and how do you do that? And and then I go, okay, here's how I'm going to do it. Right. And and it usually works out, but right. yeah. Now, what do you say to other visually impaired and blind people? Because I know you obviously you're talking to, when you go to schools, you're probably talking to the sighted world. But what do you, what yeah. do you what's your message for other visually impaired and blind people? You know, and I, the back of my book, I have, and if I just don't this, I could pull it out. But um, I have a thing called Pearls of Wisdom. And I kind of address kids that are blind, teachers that are teaching the blind, I, uh, ophthalmologists, uh, just I have a whole, I have like 20 different categories. That I, I write a little paragraph about. But to people that are blind, that you can do it. You can overcome whatever it is. Don't let your blindness be your burden or your weight let mm-hmm. it be your wings mm-hmm. uh, that you you have the ability to do whatever the it is don't let other people stop you you know what you can do and go out there and do it for pete's sakes and and don't be the victim you know show people what you can do and 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 tell people you want them to have higher expectations of you and be your own advocate and your your own champion because mm-hmm. you know what you know it mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm and what and again what would you say my head and what would you say to the sighted community what message would you want to pass on to the sighted community i think you sighted people need to hold us up to higher expectations too don't presume that we can't do whatever that it is because most of the time we can we just might have to make different adaptations but it's your blindness in a way that 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 makes us disabled Mm -hmm. and to be quite blunt Mm -hmm. and so open your own eyes and see what we can do because most likely we will surprise you Mm -hmm. and we are really pretty loyal you know if you hire us we're gonna because we haven't been employed as much as maybe people who are sighted well probably not probably but Mm -hmm. realistically we're gonna work our tails off to prove to you that we can hold a job and we can do whatever that it is too Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. that we are capable Mm-hmm. And we usually blindness isn't what's what's holding us back. And it's it's other people's um, short sightedness that is. So give us a chance. Mm-hmm. We're going to prove you more than right. Mm-hmm. Our world needs to be more inclusive. And we're just. Yeah, we're just like you. We just don't see. That's right. 
Yep, I, I totally yeah. agree. I totally agree yeah. with that. Let's yes. talk about your website. Yeah, soaringintogreatness.com. And, uh, oh, I do have Pearls of Wisdom out there on there now and blogs. And, of course, my email's out there. You can email me and you can get my book. You can sign up for that even through that if you forget anything else audible. But, yeah, so. Excellent. Gail, check me out. I, we certainly will. And we're going to put all the uh, links and so <laughs> forth uh, in the uh, show notes so that people can just link right to your website and, and grab a copy of your book cool. and, and read all about it. Gail, it has been a pleasure chatting with you. It. Thank you very much for uh, for reaching out to us. I'm, I'm really, really glad you did. And I'm glad we had this opportunity to find out about you and hear your message. And uh, we wish you all the best. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me on. It was very much fun. Thanks for listening to Blind Like Me. If you have a comment or suggestion about future casts, drop us an email to blindlikeme at outlook.com. Blind Like Me is a timblackonair.com production.